What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Monday, July 25th. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What A Day, where we are still flying high from our panel at Comic-Con, where we made a ton of cool announcements about the What A Day cinematic universe. That's right. The WAD CU is coming and we saw a ton of great What A Day cosplay. Yeah, send us pics of those cosplay outfits, people. I don't know if my self-esteem could withstand seeing people cosplaying as me. On today's show, the World Health Organization declared that monkeypox is a global health emergency. Plus, the Pope is in Canada for a week-long tour to apologize for the Catholic Church's historical genocide against indigenous people there. But first, it's still hot. As Southern Europe takes a deep breath of slightly cooler air, America is more baked than Maureen Dowd at a dispensary. I love the reference. I feel like it's a bit of an antique, but... (laughs) No, keep it. Keep it going. New York Times opinion columnist Maureen Dowd went to Denver right after they legalized weed and ate way too much pot and tripped balls Uh for an entire night and then wrote a column that was like, this is dangerous. And it's like, no, Maureen, read. Read the labels. Right. Anyway... (laughs) About 71 million Americans live in places that were dangerously hot on Sunday. That means the heat index there hit 103 degrees. Temperatures from Texas to Arkansas, from Washington, D.C. to Massachusetts, faced temperatures that were so high that they're a public health risk. Both New York and Boston had triathlons scheduled for Sunday. Boston postponed its race until late August notoriously cooler month yeah. than July. Everybody loves to do triathlons in August. I don't know why they didn't yeah. think about to begin with. It's like I had something athletic planned in July, but let's wait till it cools off in August. Right. But New York shortened the race to account for the life-threatening heat and had the race go on as scheduled. Yeah, and temperatures today should be just as high and dangerous in many of those places, which is just great news. But Aaron, is there any sign of things cooling down soon? Yeah, so the good news is that the heat is going to break in the Northeast by Tuesday. Oklahomans, however, are not so lucky. After a record-setting July, Oklahoma won't see any relief until the start of next month. That's like an entire additional week of temperatures that are extremely, extremely hot. That's unbelievable. You want to feel like very, very bad for people? Go ahead and look at a weather map of Oklahoma and uh, think about what they're living under. It's not good. It really is not good. Is this more of the work of our mortal enemy, literally, climate change? Or um, what's going on here? So it's impossible to say whether an individual heat wave is a result of climate change, but increasing frequency and intensity of heat waves likely is. And speaking of heat, there's a massive wildfire building near Yosemite National Park in California. 2,000 firefighters are currently battling the Oak Fire that as of our recording at 9.30 Eastern on Sunday night, officials say has burned over 14,000 acres so far. But given the fact that the fire only started on Friday, it's almost certainly grown much larger by now. Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency in Mariposa County, which is west of Yosemite in the Sierra Nevada foothills. This is the largest blaze of 2022's fire season so far, but 
not the first to hit the region. Just a couple short weeks ago, the Washburn fire scorched the southern edge of Yosemite. That one is almost 80% contained, and the southern entrance of Yosemite has reopened. So what can be done besides uh, keeping our thermostats dutifully at an energy-conserving 78 degrees, drinking lots of water, and absolutely not lighting any outdoor campfires west of the Continental Divide? So 60 members of the House of Representatives want President Biden to declare a climate emergency. That sounds like a lot until you remember there are more than 400 members of the House of Representatives, and then it doesn't sound like enough, you know? Right. 60 is not that many, but... I think that what they're speaking up about is really important. Yeah, definitely. A declared national climate emergency is one way Biden could take some action to bolster our clean energy capacity in the absence of climate legislation, which, thanks to Joe Old King Cole Mansion, is all but impossible <laughs> given the Senate we've got. I mean, I keep thinking, like, if something bad enough happens, this guy will get on board. But this man is really defying the little optimism I have left. Nobody cares less about climate change than old millionaires. Yeah, it's absolutely true. It is the demographic. If we did, like, a poll, and it was, like, one part of the poll was, like, elderly millionaires, they would be the least concerned about this. And hmm yeah, well, they can watch Earth burn from heaven or hell. In our lifetimes, we have seen talking about weather go from innocuous light water cooler office talk to instant gloomy vibe killer. And uh, yeah, that's what's happening right now. You know, most of my therapy sessions begin with me and my therapist talking about the weather and not in a small talk way in a I'm freaking out way. So environmental um, therapy is going to be a real growth industry moving truly forward. is climate therapy really is. Well, at least uh, building new industry out of the demise of humans. So there's that. So another big story to tell you about, Aaron. Yesterday, the Pope arrived in Canada for a five-day apology tour. Pope Francis is on what he has called a, quote, pilgrimage of penance to acknowledge and apologize for the wrongdoing done to Canada's indigenous people by the Roman Catholic Church, especially the abuse that children endured at the country's residential schools. This comes after a public statement made by the Pope in April that he gave at a meeting with indigenous people. Okay, look. He gave a statement. Yeah. He did a meeting. Yeah. He flew to Canada during a time yeah. that is notoriously yeah. difficult to fly. What more could people want? Really? He's done yeah, the most. Truly. He's done uh, all that he can. Can you tell us more about the history of these residential schools? Yeah, absolutely. So between 1881 and 1996, more than 150,000 indigenous children were forced to go to these residential schools many of which were run by the Catholic Church. And there were 139 of these schools in total. And for the first like 70 years or so, attendance at institutions like these were mandatory for indigenous kids. Okay, so even your description of them sounds ominous. Yeah, but it's not good. What was the point of these schools? So according to Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was set up to investigate these institutions, there were three main goals. And I promise you, Aaron, you're not going to like any of them. Number one, economic assimilation. So basically to make sure that these kids can participate in a, quote, market-based economy, Ugh. which apparently requires them to be separated from their families. The second is political assimilation. And the third... I think is the real one, right? The commission found that the goal was to make sure that these, quote, savages were to emerge as Christian white men. Ah! Yeah, it's awful. And it, it basically meant that they hoped that, like, by being forced to go to these schools and separated from their families, these kids would leave behind their indigenous roots and cultural institutions and experience and just kind of stamp out the history of indigenous culture in Canada. Evil is so overconfident. Yeah. That specific type of evil that, like, we will convince these children to 
leave their families and culture behind. Right. And then they assume that that will carry forward into future generations, that those people's children won't be like, Mm -hmm. wait, what the hell? Totally. As a parent, it's hard to imagine anything worse than this almost. Mm -hmm. Kids were ripped away from their families for at least 10 months of the year, but then often for many years in a row without being able to communicate. And they were forced into these horrible environments where corporal punishment and cruelty were constant. Sexual abuse ran rampant, malnourishment, overcrowding, poor sanitation, poor heat systems, no medical care, death, was like a regular, regular occurrence. At one school, the death rate reached almost 70%. Oh, my God. This was hell, right? This was like complete hell. Oh, my God. And, okay, speaking of deaths, what a terrible segue. But speaking of deaths, in recent years, unmarked graves of over a 1,000 children from those schools have been discovered. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah. So according to the New York Times last June, quote, the remains of 751 people mainly indigenous children, were discovered at the site of a former school. This was in Saskatchewan. I mean, 751 people, mainly kids. It's sickening. And so that's in addition to the discovery of hundreds of other people's remains at some of these institutions. And the commission that I mentioned earlier, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, had estimated about 4,100 children had disappeared, likely died. But recently, the former head of that same commission says he now believes the number is at least 10,000. Wow. Just gone. It's really hard to imagine. Okay, so what was the role of the Catholic Church in those schools? Well, they ran many of the schools. Of the ones open at the program's peak, which was around like 1930, they ran more than half of them. The others were run by other Christian institutions. And so the Catholic Church and other Christian churches perpetuated a lot of this abuse. And you know, the Catholic Church's willingness to abuse children and cover it up It's not the first time, right? Like, this is a feature, not a bug at this point. Yeah. I mean, I was raised Catholic. I was confirmed. And the institutional support and protection of abusers is why I left the church. So why is the Pope finally visiting Canada now? Well, this has really been a long time coming. I mean, one could say it's been 150 years coming, right? But even just in recent history, five years ago, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau asked Pope Francis for an actual public apology instead of the, quote, expression of sorrow that the previous pope, Pope Benedict, had issued. And last year, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops finally apologized formally, saying, quote, we acknowledge the grave abuses that were committed by some members of our Catholic community, physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, cultural, and sexual. And then in April, the Pope said, quote, I also feel shame, sorrow and shame for the role that a number of Catholics, particularly those with educational responsibilities, have had in all these things that wounded you and the abuses you suffered and the lack of respect shown for your identity, your culture, and even your spiritual values. So he said that while talking to some indigenous groups, you know, at the Vatican, but there have been calls for the Pope to actually show up and apologize in person, which is what he's doing now, which is good. I mean, this is five years after Trudeau requested it. It's obviously many years after other groups have been asking for this kind of apology. And so it's good to see him show up, but it can actually change what these kids endured for a century plus, you know, and families. Mm -hmm. It's just truly unimaginable. The Pope's tour of Canada will continue through Friday, so we'll keep you updated on what happens and the reaction to him by Indigenous people. But that is the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. (music) 
Well, today is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, everyone's (laughs) getting flowers. (laughs) Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, Books promo code WAD. Now let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. The World Health Organization officially declared monkeypox as a, quote, public health emergency of international concern over the weekend. This is basically just officials' way of saying, take this shit seriously. This is only the seventh time in history that the WHO has evoked the warning for a disease. The last time they did was, of course, for the COVID-19 pandemic. Over 16,000 cases and five deaths have been documented worldwide. And according to a statement from the organization's director, all continents are at moderate risk for the virus, except for Europe, where it's much higher. Okay. Yeah. Not feeling great about that. Yeah. When the government tells people to take diseases seriously, we know that they listen. So this should go great. Right. I fear in addition to pandemic that we're about to see a bunch of like red state raves <laughs> sweaty close quarters people talking really close to each other do not want do not want do not want it's true Authorities filed a federal assault charge on Saturday against the man who tried to stab New York Republican gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin. This happened during a campaign speech last Thursday by the Republican nominee when the man climbed up on stage and tried to attack Zeldin before being subdued. Thankfully, no one was hurt in the scuffle. As for motive, the criminal complaint said the man admitted to drinking whiskey that day and said he, quote, must have checked out before he walked on stage to ask if Zeldin disrespected veterans. Zeldin blamed the attack on bail reform, which is demonstrably false. Gotta say, prayers up for his public defender upon hearing, I must have checked out. I must have checked out. Bad excuse. (laughs) Not great. Ex-Trump advisor and human bee sting, Steve Bannon, was convicted of contempt of Congress on Friday for refusing to cooperate with the January 6th committee. I feel like we need a sound effect for every time there's a new Steve Bannon insult. I know. Human bee sting. Human bee sting. It's a new one. It's new. It's it's perfect. It's beautiful. It works. It's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, I got to agree. He was convicted of contempt of Congress on Friday for refusing to cooperate with the January 6th committee. The jury in Bannon's case took less than three hours to find him guilty of two misdemeanors for ignoring the committee's subpoena, and Bannon could face anywhere between 30 days and one year of jail time for each charge. He'll be sentenced later this fall. Another January 6th news, Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, could be next in line for a subpoena. If you recall, Jenny was discovered to be texting buddies with former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, and in their messages, she pressured him to help overturn the the 2020 election results. Here's committee chair Liz Cheney on CNN's State of the Union yesterday discussing the possibility. The committee is engaged with her counsel. We certainly hope that she will agree to come in voluntarily, but the committee is fully prepared to contemplate a subpoena if she does not. 
Somehow I don't think Cheney Thomas is going to come in voluntarily. That's just my instinct. Cheney also says that she and her colleagues have several interviews ahead of them with similar witnesses, including more former members of Trump's cabinet. I mean, Steve Bannon just got convicted of contempt of Congress. Well, let's hope that Cheney Thomas's case doesn't go to the Supreme Court. Do you think Thomas would recuse himself for that one? I think he would recuse himself, but I think his other little BFFs would figure something out. I gotta say, it's probably awkward to convict your colleague's wife. The bottom line here is that Clarence Thomas should have made better decisions with his love life in many ways. In many, many ways. Uh, The Justice Department announced on Friday that it's investigating the city of Houston, Texas, for environmental racism after hearing hundreds of complaints from its black and Latino residents. These residents claim that the city has been illegally dumping overwhelming amounts of garbage onto their doorsteps and that they've seen everything from old furniture to medical waste to dead bodies near Mm. their homes. The investigation is part of the White House's effort to address the disproportionate rate at which people of color are exposed to harmful pollutants. And the case is likely to be one of the department's most ambitious environmental justice probes in recent years. Investigators will determine whether Houston officials discriminated against their black and Latino residents by ignoring their reports of environmental violations and by allowing a majority of the city's landfills to operate so close to their neighborhoods for decades. In a major body slam to wrestling fans worldwide, Vince McMahon announced last Friday that he's retiring as a CEO of the WWE. McMahon turns 77 soon. That is likely not a factor in this quote-unquote retirement, though. He is currently embroiled in a series of sexual misconduct scandals. McMahon has reportedly paid out $12 million in hush money to four different women over 16 years. 16 years, including a $3 million payment to a former WWE paralegal and a $7.5 million payment to a female wrestler who alleged she coerced her into performing oral sex. Don't feel too bad for Vince, though. Mm-mm. His daughter is one of the new co-CEOs of WWE, and he'll remain the company's majority shareholder. So even though he's not the face of the company anymore, he still gets to enjoy the profits. The WWE had a record revenue last year of over $1.1 billion. And again, he's the majority shareholder. No word yet on if McMahon will continue to oil up his weird old guy muscles after he has left the ring. Wow, Roger Ailes vibes. Yeah. He's in charge of something fake. He's in charge of something that is played up for the audience. Yes, it's true. He's doing harassment. They have a lot in common. Really? I mean, I would respect the WWE as a news source more than I would respect, like, primetime yeah. Fox commentary. Yeah. That's true. To be honest. That's true. I feel like they might be a little bit easier to work with. Right. Like, you can verify with video that right. one wrestler right. hit the other with a chair. The insinuations that Tucker Carlson makes, not so much. Right. Google co-founder and only the eighth richest man in the world, Sergey Brin's marriage crumbled earlier this year, in part because of an alleged affair between his wife, Nicole Shanahan, and Elon Musk, according to the Wall Street Journal. That's right. The world's richest man, Elon Musk, believes you should keep your enemies close and your friends, wives, even closer. (laughs) The alleged affair happened in December, the same month that Musk welcomed twins with Neuralink executive Siobhan Zillis, and a month after welcoming his second child with ex Grimes. At a party earlier this year, Musk dropped to his knees to beg forgiveness from his friend, but like a lot of Elon's great ideas... The apology didn't work, and insiders say they're still not speaking. In recent years, Musk has become the Nick Cannon of tech, siring many children with different mothers and has stated that more kids with Grimes 
are still a possibility. Naturally, all of this baby-making has prompted Musk to recently become a Republican, assuming the Family Values Party means that it's for people with giant families who still like to party. That's so gross. Why are people having sex with Elon Musk? This man brings chaos everywhere he goes. There are hotter billionaires. True. You are a lady who would like to have a baby. Right. With a billionaire. Right. If you want your kids to be cute, pick a cuter billionaire. We will find you one that's better than Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sleep with Elon Musk. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. Crooked's got a new pod you need to check out. Another Russia. It tells the story of Putin's number one public enemy, Boris Nemtsov. In 2015, he was assassinated in front of the Kremlin. In another Russia, Nemtsov's daughter, Jana, tells her father's story, and along with co-host Ben Rhodes, they find out what happened to an entire country. The first episode is out today, so listen wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, help Smokey Bear prevent forest fires, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just texting with Jenny Thomas, like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. I'm Erin Ryan. And, and please, please stop, stop having kids with, with Elon, Elon Musk. Ugh. I cannot reiterate that enough. Don't do it. Maybe the answer here is that we set Jenny Thomas up with Elon Musk. Apologize for putting that evil on the world. (laughs) What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein with help today from Nick Turner. And our executive producer is Leo Duran. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts.